This is our second tape in a series entitled, You've Already Got It, and with the subtitle of So Quit Trying to Get It. And uh, as I said on the very first tape, I really believe that this teaching has tremendous potential to help you in your relationship with the Lord. If for some reason you've gotten this tape and you didn't listen to the first tape in the series, you really need to get that. If you've skipped through somehow or another and picked this tape first, I encourage you to listen to the first tape first because it really is foundational to what I'll be saying here. If you don't have access to that first tape, you can always get it through our ministry at addresses on the tape. And uh, I encourage you to get that. I also have a book entitled Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith. I'd encourage you to get that book. It's really powerful. Uh, This teaching that I'm doing here is going to be about grace and faith. And uh, it really is essentially the same teaching that is in that book with one little twist. That back about two years ago, this would have been, well, just under two years ago, in the early part of 2000. I was teaching on grace and faith at a church in Louisville, Texas, and I taught that same truth that I've taught thousands of times and that is really expounded in this book, except I applied this truth to how faith works. I was emphasizing the faith part, countering some misconceptions, primarily a misconception about how that faith is believing God to do something in the future And I was emphasizing how true Bible faith is believing what God has already done by grace. And as I made that application, I used healing as an example. And that's when uh, this lady, Chris Oshinsky, was there, heard that teaching, took the tape home to her daughter, who was on the verge of death, had been believing God for a long period of time. And uh, her daughter, Nikki, got healed the next day when I went over and prayed for her. And anyway, it was such a dramatic healing that we've made a video out of it. That video has gone out to tens of thousands of people. It's impacted, and Nikki is a powerful woman. She's now Nikki Weller. She got married. And, um, I mean, it has been so powerful, and she has been using this teaching on grace and faith to illustrate how she got healed. And so through this, it's kind of evolved that instead of the teaching on grace and faith being generic, applied to any area of your life, which it will work in any area, it is specifically geared more towards uh, how to bring your faith into the present tense and no longer be just looking future tense for a fulfillment, but how to get things. So I say all of that to say that what I'm teaching right here goes along with what I taught on the first tape about how we're already blessed, how God has already placed within us everything, that God's part is already done. He is always transmitting and releasing everything that he has, and everything that he does is always being broadcast. And if we aren't uh, seeing what God has purchased for us manifest in our life, it's not God's transmitter that needs to be fixed, but rather our receiver. And I'm teaching on grace and faith from that perspective. And so I say all of this to say that it's the same teaching that's on the book. The book is just kind of generic towards all subjects. What I'm going to be teaching here has been influenced by this experience with uh, Nikki Oshinsky and the way that it impacted her life. And I'm just making an application of it that seems to be touching people Better. It seems like that they're getting the truth even better when I make application. And so 
This is that teaching on living in the balance of grace and faith with an application towards this. Well, what I taught on the first tape that everything has already been provided. Uh, again, get that first tape if you haven't heard it. If you've listened to it and forgot it, listen to it again because this is a uh, must that you go on. It's a progression. It's a follow-up on the first thing that we taught. We covered Ephesians chapter 1 on the first tape. On this tape, let me just continue in Ephesians chapter 2 and continue right along. Remember that the book of Ephesians is written not to try and get God to do something new for you, but rather to show you what God has already done. It's not petitioning God for something new, for a new outpouring, for God to move, but rather it's praying that your eyes will be enlightened to what you already have. And he continues that same uh, terminology in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 1. It says, You hath he quickened. The word quickened means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice that everything is in the past tense. You hath he quickened. He's not saying, and you can he quicken if you believe, and if you will seek, and if you will petition God. But no, it's all written from this same perspective of what we talked about on the first tape, that it's a done deal. You've already got it. God has already quickened you. Now, it's understood that this is talking about people who have received the atonement of the Lord. Now, the quickening power of the Lord has been purchased for everybody, Christian and non-Christian, but the non-Christian hasn't received it, so they haven't been made alive. But any person who is born again is alive. You are raised from the dead. Now, some of you may say, but my physical body is still hurting. I've still got problems. I'm still depressed. You may not have manifested and got it out into your physical body, but in your spirit, it is as alive as it will ever be. It's alive the way that Jesus is alive. It has his resurrection power on the inside of it. You aren't trying to be made alive. You are already made alive in the spirit realm, and you, through faith, can draw that life out into your physical life. So instead of just petitioning God like God, I'm just dead, I'm lifeless, nothing is good in my life. That's starting from a position of unbelief, starting from a position that is in opposition with God's word. What you need to do is understand what you have in Christ and you say, Father, I thank you that I do have resurrection life on the inside of me. But the doctor says I'm dying. There is death in my body. And so I'm drawing this life that is in me out. I thank you that it is done. And now I take my authority and I speak and I command it to come to pass. See, that's the proper attitude. And this is what it's saying. You have already been made alive. You are already quickened. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. You aren't anymore, but you were. Man, I could spend an hour explaining that. In verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Notice that following Satan and being dominated by Satan was things in the past. Some of you may think, well, I'm a Christian, but yet I still am dominated by the devil. If you are, it's because verse 1 is in a reality. You don't understand how you've already been quickened and you're already delivered from the uh, death that was in trespasses and sins. If you understood that, it breaks the power of sin and you will be living a victorious life. Again, this doesn't mean that you reach sinless perfection, that you never make a mistake, but your life is characterized by victory instead of defeat. And that's what he's talking about. It's, it, it's an inevitable byproduct. A scripture goes along with this is Philemon 
chapter 1, verse 6, and Paul prayed there that the communication of Philemon's faith would become effectual. That means it would begin to work. How? By the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. When you begin to understand that Christ has already done it, that you already have his resurrection life, you are made alive, you are as Jesus is in the Spirit. When you understand and acknowledge these good things, then your faith begins to work and you will see victory physically, financially, emotionally, victory over sin, over lust, over desires. That's just the way that it works. In verse 3, it says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Notice again in verse 3, everything is in the past tense. Some people say, but this is still working in me. If it is, it's because you haven't understood that in the Spirit, you already have everything. You are as complete as you'll ever be. And you haven't acknowledged those good things that are in you. And therefore, you are still being dominated by that old flesh. But the truth is, your nature has been changed. You don't have a nature anymore that compels you to live in sin. I know the things I'm saying right here are contrary to uh, the dominant religious thought. And because of it, some people just may choke on this and and not listen anymore and say, that's it. But I encourage you to pursue it. I'm not going to spend my time on this because I'm actually trying to get down to verse 8. But you need to see that this is what he's saying here, that everything is already done. Again, if you have any questions on this, uh, I've got a four-tape album entitled a spirit, soul, and body that has a special tape on the fact that your old sin nature is gone. And I encourage you to get that. In verse 4 it says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. Notice again, it's in the past tense. You've already been quickened. God loved you. He's already done this. In verse 6, and hath, past tense, raised us up together and made us. You could put, you could say, and hath made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is not something to be uh, sought for, to try and attain unto. It's something to be received as a gift. It is already done. You are already in relationship with God. You are already raised and raised from the dead spiritually. You are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places, in verse 7, the end result of this is that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. In verse 8, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Man, that is a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture, and because of that, a lot of people think that they already know what it says, and they just skip over it and really don't give the time and the effort to it that is due, and therefore don't get the full benefit of it. Let me just break some of this down. It says that you are saved by grace through faith. And let me make some very radical statements here that I'll spend the rest of this tape verifying. You are not saved by grace alone. And you aren't saved by faith alone. You're saved by grace through faith. 
In all honesty to Scripture, look back in the fifth verse. The very last part of that fifth verse has a parenthetical phrase, and it says, by grace are you saved. And so it's not absolutely wrong to say that you're saved by grace or that you're saved by faith uh, if you're trying to make a point. Like, for instance, some people will sit there and say, no, I believe you've got to be holy, etc. And I'll say, no, you're saved by faith. It's not. It's your faith in what Jesus did. It's not what you do for the Lord. Well, that's not totally inaccurate because I'm contrasting that it's not what you do, but rather it's your faith in what God did. And so that's not totally wrong. But technically speaking, you aren't saved by grace alone or by faith alone. You are saved by a combination of the two. Now, I'm going to explain this, so just stick with me for a moment. But uh, grace and faith are both like Uh, sodium and chloride. Sodium is a poison. Chloride is a poison. Either one of those will kill you if you take them in sufficient quantities. And yet, if you mix them together, sodium chloride becomes table salt, and you can't live without it. You have to have salt to be able to survive. That's the way grace and faith is. Grace by itself, if all you do is think that it's God's grace that does everything in your life, And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm using terminology here that I know is upsetting some people because it's violating things. But I want you to think about this. If grace alone saved you, then every person would be saved because God's grace is the same. I am a grace teacher. I emphasize grace. I have been rejected by a lot of faith people because I put such an emphasis on grace. But at the same time, I emphasize that there has to be grace and faith. And because of that, I am a faith teacher and I am rejected by the real strong grace crowd. They think that I put too much emphasis on what we must do. You know, the body of Christ uh, is divided into a lot of different camps. But two of the dominant camps that you could just about fit every person into is the grace camp or the faith camp. There are people that believe it is totally God's grace, and they really uh, criticize anybody preaching on faith because they look at that as being something that we must do. It compromises God's grace, and they just they don't even want to mention faith. They just want to say it's totally the grace of God. Your faith, your belief has zero to do with it. Well, I don't believe that that's what the Word says. Again, grace by itself will kill you. And then there's other people that emphasize, no, we've got to believe God. And they start talking about all the things you've got to do to build yourself up in faith. They will deal with what faith will accomplish. They will take faith scriptures and they emphasize it. And they really dislike even mentioning the grace of God because... Uh, They feel that it takes this motivation away from people to be aggressive and to get out there and take the bull by the horns and make it happen. And so the people in the faith camp as a whole don't want to mention grace. They don't like the grace people. The grace camp doesn't like the faith camp. It's like these are two opposites. And which one is right? Well, neither one is right by itself. I believe that all heresy is, or you could say error, heresy is, implies uh, maliciousness and intentional uh, rejection, but heresy or error, all it is is one truth from the Word of God taken at the expense of other truths. Now, that's an amazing statement. All you got to do to be in error is take one truth from the Word of God at the expense or the exclusion of other truths, and it will become error. 
In other words, there has to be a balance. All of these truths of God's word fit together and they harmonize and they complement each other. And as it says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, you are saved by grace through faith, not one or the other. Let me just spend a little bit of time here defining these two and showing you what I'm talking about. Grace can be defined in many ways. The scripture talks about the manifold grace of God. That means many-fold or many-faceted parts of grace. And so grace can be defined in a lot of ways because it is manifold, many-faceted. But the the basic definition that most people go with is that grace is unearned, unmerited favor. And I believe that that is certainly true. I don't think that that's everything that there is to it. But it is. it means that it's unearned, it's undeserved. In other words, if you have to work for it, if it is based on some worth or some value, if you have to meet a minimum standard of requirement, if you have to be a you know, holy to a certain degree before God's grace will come unto you, well, then it's not grace because uh, it's you are having to meet some criteria. You, in a sense, earn it partially. See, so that would void it. Grace means that it is unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. Another facet of grace is that it is something that God did for you, independent of you. It has zero to do with you. For instance, by grace, God died for the sins of the whole world. And he didn't wait until you had already lived and committed your sins and then respond to you. Grace is something that God does for you, independent of you. He does it prior to you. God had already predetermined that he was going to send his son to die for the sins of the world before he even created the world and before he created people and before people sinned. It was already in the heart of God. And there are scriptures that talk about that. So God, by grace, already had the motivation to redeem the human race back unto himself. And before any person listening to this tape ever received Jesus as your Lord, the provision was already made. Jesus died for our sins 2,000 years ago before you were born, before you ever sinned. And so grace had already made the atonement and made the provision for your salvation before you ever needed. That's grace. Grace is unearned, unmerited favor. It is something that is done independent of us. It's something that's done prior to our need. And another many-faceted aspect of grace is that it is consistent. Grace, since it's not based on our performance and since it's done prior to any worth or value or any merit on our part, then God by grace is the same towards everybody. God's grace is exactly the same towards Christian and non-Christian, towards God-hater and God-lover. The grace of God is the same. And Uh, Let me use a scripture to just verify this over in Titus in chapter two and verse 11. It says that the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men. Now, see, God's grace is what he did for us. And you can include in there the atonement, the forgiveness of our sins, uh, everything, salvation, everything that Jesus purchased that brings salvation, has appeared to all men. Not to just all 
Christians, not all people who are going to receive it, but God's grace is the same to everyone. Now, if grace alone saved you, then every person would be saved because the grace of God has come unto all men. The grace of God is consistent towards all people, and yet not all people are saved. Jesus made it very clear that there's more that will enter in by the broad gate unto destruction than by the narrow gate unto everlasting life. There's just a remnant that's going to be saved. Why? Because God's grace only came unto some people to bring salvation? No, God's grace has come unto everyone. The grace of God is consistent for everyone. It's independent of us. It is prior to us doing good or bad, and it is universal. It's for everyone. So that's God's grace. But see, grace alone doesn't save because the scripture says you are saved by grace through faith. We have to respond to God's grace in faith. Do you know Hitler had just as much grace provided for him and released and extended towards him as you or I have extended towards us? God's grace was the same. But as far as we know, Hitler didn't receive the grace of God. Now, he espoused that he was a Christian. He said that in name only, but his actions denied it. And only God knows his heart. Possibly at the last moment, something could have happened. But as far as we know, uh, he was a God hater. He was resistant to God. And uh, there is no evidence that he was a true born-again believer. He was a professor, but not a possessor. And so the grace of God was consistent towards Hitler, the same as it is towards any of us. But as far as we know, he didn't receive it. And so, see, God's grace doesn't save you alone. God's grace doesn't heal you by itself. It doesn't bless you. It doesn't do anything. God is the same towards everybody. His grace is exactly the same towards everyone. But not everyone receives the grace of God. So, you see, it's not just grace alone that provides things. It is God's grace and then our faith mixed together that release this power of God and make it a reality in your life. So I've defined what grace is. Let me talk about faith for just a moment. First of all, let me say what faith is not. Many people have the concept that faith is something that I do, and they can say that it's studying the Word, confessing the Word, uh, it's acting, it's doing the, and They name all of these different things that are involved in faith. But basically, they say faith is something I do to move God, to get God to do something. Probably every person listening to this has heard the terminology about faith moves God. I don't believe that is true, and I think that that is one of the major reasons that people aren't receiving more from God, because they think faith is something they do to move God. They think faith is something they do, and then God responds to their faith. Now, that puts a burden upon you to perform and to produce, that it may motivate you for a period of time, and you may think, oh, I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do all of these things, and then God is going to heal me. But ultimately, nobody can measure up to that. Nobody is good enough to move God. Faith does not move God. God isn't stuck. God isn't the one that needs to move. Faith does not move God. Faith is not something you do to make God do something. 
For instance, in the area of healing, you do not take the word and confess the word and pray or get up and act healed or throw your medicine away to make God heal you. If you have this concept that faith is something you do to move God, to make God move, then that's what the Bible calls works, legalism. And that is the one thing that will stop what God has already provided you for you from coming into physical manifestation because God is not going to be coerced into anything. It, everything has to come by grace through faith. So here's what faith is. Faith, and th- this is so easy for me to say now, but it took me 20 years to get to where I could say this. This is profound. Just because it's simple, don't miss this. Faith is your positive response to what God has already provided by grace. Man, that's awesome. Faith is simply your positive response to what God has already provided by grace. If what you're calling faith is not a response to what God has already done through grace, then it's not faith. If what you're calling faith is something you are trying to do to get a positive response from God, to make God respond to you, then it's not faith. Faith, true faith, is not something we do to gain a response from God, but rather it is our positive response to what God has already provided by grace. Here's another way of saying that same truth. Faith only appropriates what God has already provided by grace. If you are trying to get God to do something new, then it's not faith. Faith, true faith, is only appropriating or reaching out and taking, receiving what God has already done. Now, the benefit of this is just awesome if you understand what I'm saying. Before I talk about the benefit, let me just use something to illustrate what I'm talking about right here. Over in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, these are the passages of Scripture that Kenneth Hagin wrote. Amen. I'm just joking. I know some people get upset and think I'm criticizing Kenneth Hagin. I'm just saying that he's used these so many times. Some people actually think of Kenneth Hagin more than they think of Jesus when they read these verses. But in Mark chapter 11 is where Jesus cursed the fig tree, and the next day his disciples saw it, and the fig tree had dried up, and they were amazed. And they they said, Lord, look what happened. And so here's what the Lord said unto them. He said in verse 22, have faith in God. Verse 23, for verily I say unto you, that means truly, I tell you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Well, that is an awesome passage of Scripture. Verse 24 especially says, Whatsoever things you desire. Do you know what whatsoever means in the Greek? It means whatsoever. It means anything. So this says that anything you desire, believe you receive it when you pray and you shall have it. So does that mean you can do anything? There's scriptures that says all things are possible to him that believes. 
Now, where I'm going with this is that if you don't understand that faith only appropriates what God has already provided by grace, then you could take a scripture like this that talks about what faith can accomplish. It says whatsoever. And you could take it to an extreme to where you could totally get into error. An example of this is that there was a woman in Arlington, Texas, where I grew up. And during the early days of the charismatic move, I mean, it was wild. And there were no spirit-filled churches. Uh, People were meeting in Bible studies and different things. And so there wasn't a lot of oversight. People, uh, there were very few people who had been in the ministry very long. Uh, Nearly everybody in the charismatic move had just gotten touched within the last year or two. And so a lot of immaturity, a lot of wildfire, a lot of wild things going. There was a lot of glorious things, but there was a lot of wild things. And this was about a, about 1970 or 71, probably 71, maybe 72. And anyway, this woman in Arlington, Texas, started a Bible school. She only had 20 or 30 people or something, but she started this Bible school. She took this scripture, Mark 11:24, Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And she said that what she desired was to marry Kenneth Copeland. She wanted Kenneth Copeland to be her husband. She believed for it. She says, I confess it, I believe, I receive, and I shall have it. There was just one little problem, and that was that Gloria Copeland was married to Kenneth Copeland. And because of that, uh, the way that they dealt with that, they cursed. Gloria Copeland commanded her to die, to get out of the way, and then... They were going, she was going to marry Kenneth Copeland. And as an act of her faith, she actually had a wedding ceremony with these Bible college students. And she married Kenneth Copeland in the spirit. And she just waited on Gloria Copeland to die and get out of the way, and then God would put them together, and this was going to happen. As I said, that was about 1972, and it hasn't happened yet, and it's not going to happen. You know why that won't happen? Some of you just say, well, I just don't believe God does that. Well, why? Doesn't it say whatsoever things you desire? Can you take that and just go out and, and uh, you know, curse somebody, command them to die and marry their husband? Can you go out and plan a bank robbery and say, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that I'm going to steal a million dollars and I will not get caught. I confess it with my mouth, believe in my heart, and it's mine. Why can't you use the scripture to do that? The answer to this, and it's very simple once you understand it, is that God, by grace, did not provide murder and adultery or thievery in the atonement. And since Jesus didn't provide it, your grace, your faith cannot make it happen. Faith doesn't move God. God doesn't respond to what we do in faith and then move. God, by grace, has already provided everything. When you need to be healed, the Lord doesn't look at you praying and confessing and begging and fasting and agreeing with other people. And if you'll do enough, it's like a pry bar on God that you can move him. And all of a sudden, boom, you can make God's power move. God doesn't respond to your faith. Your faith if it's a true faith, is simply a response to what he's already done. See, God by grace has already healed everybody. God by grace has already taken the sins and the sickness of the entire world, and he has already dealt with it. It is a done deal. It's over. 
That's the reason that the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, that by his stripes we were healed. Past tense, already done. The Lord is not healing people today. Now, listen to my terminology. I'm, I'm saying this to make a per- point. I'm not saying that people aren't being healed today, but I'm saying that God transmitted, released that healing 2,000 years ago in the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's already broadcast. He's already released it. When a person gets born again, he places on the inside of them the same resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. When you pray and try and receive healing, the Lord doesn't have to lift his hand. People will say, oh God, put forth your mighty hand. The Lord doesn't have to lift a finger. God has already done healing. It is a done deal. That resurrection power is placed on the inside of us. And all that has to happen for healing to manifest is we have to receive it. We don't have to get God to give it. We have to receive it. We have to reach out and by faith appropriate what God has already provided by grace. Man, that is awesome. I just pray that you're getting what I'm saying because this would totally revolutionize the way that you receive from God. Again, most of the people that I talk to and minister to, they are trying to get God to heal them. And so they'll pray, they'll do all of these things, and then they just passively wait on God to move. You'll hear people say things all the time about, man, I'm just waiting on God. And they'll quote scriptures that talk about, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. You know, I'm I'm not going to teach on waiting on the Lord, but uh, the way that you deal with most of that is just to say that that kind of waiting isn't talking about that you're just sitting back, twiddling your thumbs, and it's God's turn, so you're waiting on him to move. No, that's not the kind of waiting. This is talking about waiting on the Lord in the sense that a waiter waits on you when you go to a restaurant. The waiter isn't just sitting down somewhere else waiting for you to do something. When he's waiting on you, that means he's attentive to you. He's watching you. A good waiter will see when your water glass starts to get down. And man, he'll come fill it up. And he's always asking, is there anything else I can do for you? Are you all right? Do you need anything else? That's the kind of weight that the scripture's talking about. It's saying be sensitive, be attuned to the Lord, be open and listening and, and seeking the Lord is what that's talking about. It is not a scriptural principle for you to pray and then say, well, it's in God's court. Que sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. It's up to God. Uh, God has seen what I've done and now we'll see what God will do. No, God doesn't respond to you. When you have a problem come up, it isn't something new to the Lord. The Lord knew what your problems were going to be before you ever had them. And by grace, he provided an answer to your problem before you ever had a problem. He provided healing for you before you ever got sick. He provided healing for you before you were ever born. He's provided joy unspeakable for you even before you had grief and sorrow and tragedy hit your life. He has already made a way to escape. God has already done everything. By grace, it is a done deal. And you aren't waiting on God. God is waiting on you to respond positively. Man, that is an important statement. 
Now, from this, I'm going to be saying a number of other things as we go through this series, and so I'll make more applications. You've got to listen to the rest of this. But let me just start making a couple of applications here. If you believe that God, by grace, has already provided, then here's some of the ways that that should change the way you believe. See, again, if you've been believing that, God, I've done this and I'm doing this and I'm confessing these things and I'm waiting on you to heal me, well, then that's totally a wrong attitude and that is precisely the reason that you aren't seeing healing manifest. What you've got to do is start saying, Father, I thank you that you have already healed me. By your stripes, I was healed. Ephesians chapter 1, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is already in me. As we talked about on the first tape from Acts chapter 3, Peter and John said, Such as I have give I unto thee. They didn't even pray a prayer and ask God to heal that man at the gate of the temple. They just said, Such as I have. I'm going to give it to you. How could they do that? Most people would say, Now how do you know that God wanted to do that? Were they just making God move? No. See, God had already done it. How could you doubt that God would heal a person when by his stripes they were already healed. The healing power has already been released. The sacrifice has already been made. God, by grace, has already produced healing. So you don't have to wonder, will he do it? He's already done it. The only thing that we have to even question is, God, am I ready to receive? Am I believing in receiving if you're praying for yourself? And if you're praying for the other person, there is some degree of faith on their part. I haven't got time to teach on that. But it's it's not like 50-50. If you're strong in faith, you can you can carry a person on your faith, but they can't the way I say it is that if a person will put themselves in neutral, I can push them. But if they're in park with the emergency brake on or if they're in reverse fighting against me saying I don't believe that God won't him. Well, no, I can't make that happen. And if you will look in the third chapter of the book of Acts, when Peter and John ministered to this man, it said they fastened their eyes upon him, and then they made him look on them. When they fastened their eyes on him, that means that they had a penetrating stare. They were looking at him. The same thing happened uh, to the apostle Paul later in the book of Acts, and it says that he fastening his eyes on this man perceived that he had faith to be healed. I believe that's exactly what Peter and John were doing. This man had enough faith that he would receive this healing if Peter and John would minister to him. So there was some faith there, but they said, such as I have. See, the reason you can do that, this is some of the application. If you understand that by grace, everything is already done, then you can be bold. You can be authoritative. You can literally command the power of God to come into manifestation because you aren't commanding God to go do something. You are commanding what God has already done to come into physical manifestation. You can become a commander instead of a beggar. There's a huge difference. Over in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 11. Let me just turn over here so that I can read this properly. Isaiah 45:11 it says thus saith the Lord the holy one of Israel and his maker ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands command ye me Now that is such a radical statement that most people just kind of dismiss it and don't really pursue it and think about it They think well man I can't command God I'm not higher in authority and power I 
and they just dismiss this. I believe that the way to understand this, it's just like electricity. Electricity is generated by the power station. You sign a contract that you're going to pay your bill, etc. And in good faith, they deliver the electricity to you. They generate it. They put it into your house. But then, whether that light comes on or not has nothing to do with whether or not the power company generates the power. The power is there but it has been placed at your command. You have to go over, and when you flip the switch on the wall, you are commanding that power to flow. Now, does that mean that you are stronger than the power company, that it is you? You are commanding them to do something. No, they want to do it, and they've already delivered it to you, and it's just at your command. That doesn't mean that you're forcing them to do something. All you can force them to do is what they've already agreed to do. You can't make that electricity do something that they hadn't wired it to do. You can't do anything like that. You can't force God to do anything that he hasn't by grace already provided. But now he's done his part and it's up to you to take what he has done and by faith reach over there, appropriate it. In a sense, what you're doing is commanding it to come into manifestation. See, if you wanted your lights on, You couldn't call the electric company and say, man, I've got people coming over. We're having a party. I need to cook. I need lights on. I need heat. I need all of these things. Could you please turn on my electricity? They'll say, no, it's generated. We deliver it to you, but you have to go over to that switch and flip it. I am not going to send somebody out there to flip that switch for you. It's at your command. You do it. You have to do it. Well, it's the same thing. God has already generated the power. I'm not saying that you are the power source. God is the power source. But I'm saying that God has already generated the power and has delivered it to you. It's on the inside of every born-again believer. It's not your power. It's God's power. You could put a light bulb in your mouth, and that thing will not come on based on your power. But you could put it in a socket and then go over and flip that switch, and it comes on, and you commanded it. To come on. That didn't mean you produced the power. It means it was at your command. God has already provided everything by grace, but it is at your command. That's what faith is. Faith doesn't make God move, but faith believes that God has already moved and it reaches over there and appropriates and draws into the physical realm what is already reality in the spiritual realm. Man, that's powerful. That is powerful. If you could understand that, it would just revolutionize your life. See, most people are asking God and pleading with God, and when they don't see a physical manifestation of their healing, then because they think God could do anything, if God wanted me healed, he could heal me. Why is God letting me go on? Well, they come up with all kinds of weirdness, like, well, God is perfecting me through this trial. It's not so. I've got tapes on that. I've got a spiritual authority series that will go along with this. There's six tapes in that. I've got tapes on the book of Job. I've got tapes talking about God's not guilty. God does not put suffering on you to teach you things. But people come up with that kind of a conclusion because they pray, they ask God to heal them, and they have the concept that faith is something that they do, and then God looks at them, evaluates whether they are good enough, whether they're sincere enough, whether they've done enough, and then God responds to them. And since there is zero response, 
then that means that why isn't God answering my prayer? And they start coming up with excuses. Well, maybe he's trying to teach me something. Maybe I'm not holy enough. Maybe I haven't prayed enough. Maybe I've got a sin in my life. Maybe I've got to do this and all these other things. No, God has already done his part. And once you understand that, it just takes away this condemnation. How can God, how could you think that you aren't holy enough when the truth is God's already done it? He's already provided for you before you were ever born again, before you did anything good or bad. It's independent of you. It's by grace. And all you got to do is by faith reach over and get it. See, that's the way that you got saved. If somebody would have told you that Jesus can forgive your sins. And if you will pray and seek him, and if you will really plead, and if you're really earnest, and if you're holy, and if you're desperate enough, God will come and die for your sins. If they would have presented salvation to you as it can happen, but it hasn't happened, then I can guarantee you that nearly every person listening to me would be convinced by the devil that Well, maybe he can do it, and he maybe has done it for somebody else, but he'll never do it for me. Because it's just too, I mean, it is mind-boggling to think that God Almighty would become a human being, suffer for us, go to hell, take our sins, take our punishment, and then give us as a free gift. That is too wild. The only way that a person could believe it is if it has already happened. And the Holy Spirit bears witness and says, yes, I did. And so it's just a matter of receiving what's already done. If you thought salvation had yet to be accomplished and it was going to be done based on whether you are good enough, all of you would be convinced that, well, it won't work for me. But since it was presented as already a done deal, then you were able to receive it. It's the same thing with healing. Healing has already been done. You don't have to wonder, will God do it? He has already done it. And it's just a matter of can you reach over there and by faith receive? Can you get this attitude to it's a done deal? If you can, it'll work. You know, I mentioned at the very beginning of this teaching that I taught on this in Louisville, Texas in 2000. And uh, this Chris Oshinsky heard this and anyway took this tape home to her daughter. And, and Nikki Oshinsky, the thing that was going on in her life was She loved God. She was a powerful lady. She was 19 years old at the time, had been six since she was 14. And it's a long story. If you've missed this, you've got to get that video. It's entitled uh, Nikki's Story, I believe, or Nikki's Miracle. And I tell you, it is, in my estimation, the greatest tape I've ever seen. It's powerful. But anyway, I won't go into all the details. She was believing God, and she had even seen visions of the Lord. And the Lord had told her that she was going to be healed. Nikki had faith. She was happy. She was praising God, even though, according to her doctor, and this is on this video, he never expected to see her again. And he had an appointment with her once a week. So, I mean, she was within a week of death. She was just nearly gone. She was believing, but her faith was misdirected. It was all faith that God is going to do it. She was waiting on God to do something. When she heard my message on this subject that God has already done it and all faith does is reach over and appropriate what God has already provided. And when she heard that, one of the statements I made is that progressive miracles aren't God's best. Now, I'm not against progressive miracles because any way you get it, there is no bad way to get healed. 
but there are ways that are better than the others. And God's best and his number one will for every person is instantaneous miracles. The only reason progressive miracles come is because that's the way people believe for it. That's their theology. It's the way they think. Well, she heard me make that statement. And Nikki at first took offense over it because the Lord had told her she was going to have a progressive miracle. Now, she had a very good relationship with God, so what she did was just in her own heart, as she was listening to this tape, she says, Now, God, what about that? You told me I was going to be healed progressively. And the Lord spoke back to her and says, Nikki, that's according to your faith. That's what you were believing for. It's all you could receive. And so I was meeting you where it is, but my best is instantaneous. And when she received that, then she understood that she could have been healed five years before. It wasn't God that she had been waiting on, but her faith just wasn't out there. She didn't understand some of this stuff. It became a revelation to her. She understood it was done. When I came to pray for her the next day, I mean, she got angry. I was praying that she would get angry and so violent that she would take this healing. That same principle of command what God has already done to come into being. And anyway, she got so riled up, she put her arm across my chest, pushed me out of the way, stood up. She hadn't even been able to feed herself, to go to the bathroom by herself, to brush her hair. She was she wasn't paralyzed, but she was so weak and so frail that she couldn't lift a hand, she couldn't move, she couldn't walk, she couldn't do anything. And she stood up and started walking. And, uh, I mean, it's a great, great testimony. And she's a powerful lady who uh, can articulate it powerfully. I encourage you to get that tape. But the point is that all I did was redirect her faith. She thought faith was something she was doing. And sooner or later, God would respond to her faith and grant her healing. What I told her was, no, that's not Bible faith. What you've got to do is believe that God has already done it and then by faith reach over there and take what is rightfully yours. And when she saw that and got that revelation, boom, healing came. And you know what? It ministered to me too because I saw how this teaching could redirect a person's faith. And so as I said, I've been teaching more and making more application on this about how everything is already a done deal. And I've ministered this to thousands of people, and I have seen more people healed in the last 18 months or so, maybe two years, than I've seen happen in a very, very long time. And it's just because people are saying, I I no longer am asking God to heal me. I am receiving my healing. When I pray for other people, I no longer am asking God to heal them, but I am ministering healing to them. I am giving them healing, the same healing virtue that God has placed on the inside of me. And I'm seeing infinitely better results. Man, that is powerful. And I know that every person listening to this tape, if you could get this concept that God has already done it. You know, if you need financial blessing, God has already commanded that power on you. Now you have to learn how to reach out and receive it. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 it says, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he that gives you power to get wealth that he might establish his covenant in this earth. God doesn't give you wealth directly. He gives you power. He gives you an anointing. Now see that's an important revelation. 
God has already given you this wealth anointing, this prosperity anointing. And if you would believe that, then there's things you have to do. You have to begin to start giving, sowing, and reaping. You have to trust in God. You have to go out and work. You have to do certain things. You have to wait. There's a time of sowing and reaping, etc. There's there's these other things involved. But once you understand that God's already done it, I have an anointing on me to be blessed financially. And if you believe that, then instead of praying and just asking God to dump the money in your lamp and you're sitting at home watching as the stomach turns on the television, instead what you'll do is believe that God has already done it, and you'll get out and start touching things because God said he'd bless what He said, what you set your hand unto. And you'll start doing things, believing for that anointing to manifest and for prosperity to come, and then you'll start seeing it. But see, if you sit at home and just pray and then wait on God to dump it in your lap, he said he will bless the work of your hands. A hundred times zero is zero. That'll get you nothing. You have to begin to start believing that he's already done his part. Now, I am going to go out and you work, not so that, God, did you see that I've worked? Now, release your power. No, you are working because you believe God's already given you that power and you are acting in faith to release what God has already done. Some of you may not see the difference. You may say, well, either way, you got to do some things. Like, let's go back to the area of healing. I've talked about how some people think that confession makes God heal you. If you'll confess, by his stripes you're healed 599 times, then God will be forced into moving. No, that is wrong. You can't make God do anything. Faith doesn't move God. God, by grace, has already moved as far as he's going to move. He's already provided everything. Your need is supplied before you even have the need. So God has already done it, but... You have to confess, not in order to get God to move. You believe that God has already moved. Now you confess to overcome the devil. It says in Revelation chapter 12 that they overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You use your confession to drive off demons, to change physical things, and also your confession encourages you. You may have to confess 599 times that by his stripes you're healed, but it is not to move God. God has already done everything he's going to do. It may take you saying it 599 times before you believe it. Your confession changes you. Your confession is powerful against the devil, against physical things, but it also affects you. So you have to do some things. You don't have to read the Bible to make God love you. God doesn't love you more if you read the Bible. He doesn't love you less if you don't read the Bible. But you know what? You will love God more if you read the Bible, and you will love God less if you don't read the Bible. Because there's things in here that draw out this love of God and draw out what God's put in your life. Holiness doesn't make God love you more, nor does a lack of holiness make God love you less. God, by grace is the same towards everybody. But you know what? If you don't live holy, you won't love God as much. Your heart will become hardened through sin, Hebrews chapter 3, and you will deaden yourself to the things of God. So you do need to study the Word. You do need to go to church. You do need to do good things, but not in order to move God. 
You believe God's already moved, but you recognize that you have to, by faith, reach over there. And the things that you do, going to church helps your faith. It doesn't help God move in your life. It helps you get into faith because you hear the word of God. Going to church will help you. Listening to this tape, studying tapes like this help you. They don't make God love you anymore. He doesn't look down and say, boy, you've listened to Andrew's tapes. I'm going to give you three stars. Six stars, you get one answered prayer. That's not the way it works. God loves you. His grace is the same towards you. He's the same towards everybody, whether they listen to this teaching or not. But you know what? A lot of people, if they don't hear this teaching, aren't going to be the same towards God's grace. They aren't going to have the same degree of faith. This teaching will help your faith. Going to church helps you. It doesn't help God love you. It helps you love God. If you never go to church again, God would love you exactly the same. But you'd be stupid not to go to church. But what I'm saying is, God loves you, stupid. Amen. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm not against anybody. I'm just saying God loves you, but it is stupid not to go to church. It is stupid not to read the Word. You still need to do things, but don't ever think that your actions make God react. No, God never reacts to us. God has already done everything by grace, and our faith is our reaction to Him. And if what you are calling faith, if what you are doing in faith is trying to gain a positive reaction from God, then you haven't understood this message. You are trying to get everything by faith, and you are trying to use faith like to twist God's arm and to make God do something. And that's legalism. That's works. God said he would not share his glory with anyone. You are not going to get credit. You did not make God's power. You did not make God heal you or deliver you or set you free. No, God had already done it. And all you did was by faith reach out and appropriate what God has already done. Now, you have some credit. You could have sat back and have not believed God. You could have just gone with the world and yes, you you get some credit, but all of your credit is you responded to what God had already done. You don't get the glory. You can't say that you made it happen. It wasn't your power. It was God's power. And he didn't respond to your holiness. You simply responded to his grace. Man, this is powerful. God, by grace, has already done everything. And all faith is, is your positive response to God's grace. Unless you mix your faith with God's grace, then faith, faith teaching, if it's just something you must do to move God, will kill you. And on the other hand, people who sit back and say, well, it has nothing to do with me. It's just grace. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I believe it's verse 10, Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God, but... God's grace that was bestowed upon me was not in vain because I labored more abundantly than they all. God's grace doesn't set you free by itself. You have to cooperate. You have to labor not to get God to give you grace. But once grace comes, you have to labor to reach out and receive what God has already done. That is a powerful revelation. And I just pray that God gives you understanding of this and that you begin to harmonize these two, grace and faith. 
If you understand this, it'll make a total difference. The rest of this teaching is going to use this kind of as a foundation to build upon. And we're going to be explaining some things that I think will really help you. So I encourage you to continue to listen to the rest of this series.